please join me in the prayer for illumination. Loving God, in the scriptures you give us stories, and in these stories we find ourselves. Breathe your spirit on these ancient words and open to us the good news you long for us to receive. Amen. The scripture reading for this morning is from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 14, verses 25 through 33. Now large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and he turned and said to them, Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even life itself, cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to ridicule him saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to wage war against another king, will not sit down first and consider whether he is able, with 10,000, to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? If he cannot, then while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for the terms of peace. So therefore, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let me begin my sermon with a poem written by Nohep Park, a South Korean poet. The title is What's Left. Take power away from politicians and see what's left. Take money away from the rich and see what's left. Take authority away from clergy and see what's left. Take knowledge away from intellectuals and see what's left. What's left after all those things are taken away is what they truly are. Therefore, again, take soul away from me. Take love away from me. Take justice away from me. Even so, if I still am alive, even so, if I still live on as though nothing happened, who am I? Who truly am I? Today, this poem invites us to a reality check with a deep question. What matters most in life? What is the priority, the essence, the sine qua non, without which we are not truly alive and without which we cannot live on? The poet suggests a simple way to answer. He asks us to imagine taking something important things away from us and see what's left. 
as we get rid of some crucial things in our lives one by one, we get to the point where we can see what's finally, finally left and find what's truly indispensable to us. The poet writes that for him, such things are soul, love, and justice. And I believe he truly means it. The poet Noe Park was a labor activist and a symbolic figure of resistance against military dictatorship in the 80s. Whenever I read this poem, I think of my father. The poet and my father are about the same age and they lived the same turbulent period of dictatorship while fighting for a better democratic society. But more than that, my father, just like the poet, searched for the answer to the question, what matters most in his life? Born of poor farmer's family, he experienced many struggles and failures in his early life. But at one critical moment, he found a certain answer about his priority. And there he decided to become a pastor and dedicate his life to serving the church and the people, especially those who were most vulnerable. How do I know all this story? because I heard him preach about this more than 15 times. His commitment was fervent and somewhat radical. And because of his ministry, I was born in a slum where my father served a Presbyterian church. The name of the church was, to translate it, Church for Revitalization of People. And like its name, it was established to serve the poor and educate their children. The slum was on the outskirts of Seoul, the capital city, and it had a tragic history. My neighbors once lived in the shanties in Seoul. They were eyesores to the military dictatorship. So one day the government ordered them to move out of Seoul and promised them the government will provide jobs and housing. But no wonder, not a single promise was kept. My neighbors were basically abandoned on a large hill which turned into a slum. And of course, they were severely impoverished even more than before. My father vigorously pursued his passion there, but no, not without a cost. My family had to endure poverty and also insecurity because he was under police surveillance. The place I remember as home was just a, just a tiny little room. We slept on the floor, shoulder to shoulder. We had to use public restrooms. One day, someone broke into our room, our place, while we were awake. But as you can imagine, there's nothing to steal. So the thief stole one Bible because it was gold-rimmed and somehow looked pricey. There are so many stories I remember, but whenever I recall those days, there are two images that are still vivid in my heart. 
One is the image of my father coming back home late at night, totally worn out after leading church missions and teaching students, yet calling my name with a smile at the door. The other is image of my mother, turning her back from me and silently weeping while hand-washing clothes in a cold winter night. Just as the opening poem does, today's gospel reading, gospel story also reminds me of my father. In the story, we see Jesus with large crowds who have traveled along with him. But Jesus looks so determined to give the crowds a reality check. And he does it in a very shocking way. He warns them, saying, if you want to be my disciples, you should hate your family, even life itself. And you should give up all your possessions and carry your crosses. For sure, his words cannot bring people in, but scare them away. And I think he wouldn't be a good pastor in these days. I understand Jesus wants to be upfront about the cost of discipleship and clear about what they sign up for so that he wouldn't mislead anybody. I get that. But what about the hate language? A credible answer is to see it as a Semitic rhetoric found many times in Gospel of Matthew and Luke. While Matthew uses more round comparison, Luke uses more direct contrast and opposition. It's like this. Someone asks, which one do you like, coffee or tea? Matthew answers, oh, I prefer coffee over tea. Then Luke answers, I love coffee, but I hate tea. I know, it sounds too much. But the purpose of this contrast is to deliver a clear message. Like the, like the opening poem, take your family, your own life, all your possessions away from you and see what's left. Do you find cross there? Then take it, not other things, and be my disciple. Needless to say, this forthright reality check must have frustrated so many crowds and scattered them away. Most of them must have returned home, except a few, including 12 disciples. Whenever I reflect on this gospel story, I find my father among those a few disciples who remained. And in the past, not in these days, I found myself among the disillusioned crowd. For me, following Jesus was never an easy thing to say or do, because I had closely witnessed how hard it can be because I got to be aware of the cost. And for me, Jesus was never a comfortable person. He barged into my life and always made my life challenging. When I was about 12 years old, my father planted a church in Seoul. 
and that church committed 50% of the church budget to missions for the poor in South Korea and later in other countries in Asia. That vision was too audacious. He frequently cut and sometimes even gave up, gave up his salary. And I became so tired of all that and began to raise questions about my father's faith and about God. I couldn't understand his dedication, his priority, and his persistence in following what matters most in his life. Over all these years, those questions eventually led me to study theology and drove me to search for some answers. Then I too became a pastor, decided to dedicate myself to serving the church. I wonder, there must have been some people like me in today's gospel story, the people who once left Jesus, but later made their way back to him and stuck around. I still cannot say that I am closely following Jesus, nor am I carrying the cross. But now I can at least say that I will stay around Jesus and not leave him again. What changed me? Throughout his whole life, my father has shown me what matters most in life. And at one point in my life, I got to admit what matters most to him began to matter greatly to me too. And now I know this priority is surely what's left in me, even after all things are taken away from me. Faithful friends in Christ, we celebrate this month as our Stewardship Month. This is the time we renew our sense of commitment and reflect on how we can dedicate our time, talent, and treasure to God. But sometimes the words stewardship, commitment, dedication sound demanding. We may be overwhelmed and confused like the crowds. Nevertheless, during this month, it may be meaningful for us to take time for a reality check, asking what matters most in our lives. It is because stewardship is all about clarifying our priority. And it is all about asking for what? For what do we steward? For what do we participate, pledge, and endeavor? For what do we gather and worship? Is it because one of our essential priorities, perhaps the foremost priority, is Jesus and his body on earth, the church? Whether we have a clear answer or not, today let us keep staying around Jesus and humbly walking behind him, even though we stumble sometimes. And when we do so, by God's grace, we may take part in building the beloved community together and carrying out the mission of peace and justice in this world.
In our following, may we grow in faith, and may we be more and more aware of what matters most in life. Amen.